Welcome to the Evanrad Snowboarding Podcast. I'm Eric Trollson. Wow, this is a great way to climb mountains and come down, you know. For our reception, our Vulcan buddies brought acid. I was dropping in and snaking people and causing shit. I remember calling on the radio and I'm like, Brushy, where are you? You know, Greg would do the tricks. He was kind of like the Tony Hawk of snowboarding. I mean, people just really gravitated to the backcountry. I liked Craig, but he didn't really care for me too much because I was a little shithead. Tim Wendell is the namesake for Wendell's camp at Mount Hood, which has been operating for almost 30 years. Last season, High Cascade and Wendell's camp merged, and it was decided that Wendell's would now be ski only. This interview took place months before the merger. I sat with Tim Wendell on the side of an enormous skate park at the camp's headquarters. You know, my first board, I I ran into Rob Morrow. I was skiing up at Mount Hood. It was 81 or 82, and I ran into Rob Morrow, who was on a board. And I don't even know what he was on. I imagine it was a Sims. I don't know. And uh, so I asked him if we could go trace it out. He said, yeah, we went and traced it out. And then I went back to Woodshop in Newport, Oregon and started building a board and didn't really finish it until I got into college up in Colorado. And so the first board I had was one that was made by, by me personally, which didn't really work that well, but it worked good enough. I mean, the way I saw it is like, wow, this is a great way to go climb mountains and come down, you know in the wintertime because that's what we used to do is climb a lot you know so we didn't really have bindings back then it was uh bungee cords <laughs> and rope setups you know and then there was this guy byron i think it was in colorado he owned uh, a ski area well yeah a ski area there up on top of one of the passes i'm trying to think of the name of it i want to say it's bertha pass and it was one of the only ski areas or few ski areas that was open in colorado at the time And he made boards, too, and so I got one of his, which I was really excited about. And then it's funny, from there, I rode his quite a bit, and again, it just needed a whole bunch more stuff, you know. It was one of those things you just constantly added to it, and uh, like fake edges and all kinds of stuff. Um, And then there was boards starting to come up for sale in Colorado, you know, there wasn't much going on. Again, I think there was only one ski area, which was Bertha Pass, that was open, you know, and then there was Hesperus Ski Station in Durango, Colorado that would allow it, but that's like a palm lift. And then Purgatory later started allowing it, you know. Um, But I got a board in uh, McGuckin's Hardware in Boulder, Colorado. I, I think I paid like, you know. $499 back in 84, 85. And that was a board with no edges, you know, it just had skags and 1500 FE, I want to say is what it was. Yeah, the bindings were, well, then there were fast buckles. They're just, I still have it to this day, actually. Oh my God. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just like the back, like what you use on backpacks now. Yeah. Like the clip. Yeah, clip. There was no high backs or anything else. There are very few people who can say they were snowboarding in 1981. Tim's been into it almost since the beginning. To a sense, since the beginning. I mean, Tom and, and Jake were in it a lot, a lot earlier than I was. Yeah, it was since the beginning of like the industrial segment yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of it when it started getting into production. The first time I got on one, I was just like, this is it. This is it. When I saw Rob Marl riding one, I was just like, that's insane. I want to do that. It was everything I could do to chase that guy down. What stays the same in snowboarding? And what changes? I guess, you know, the, the things that I see that kind of remain the same is my passion's still in it. I love it. You know, it's it's what I, I live, eat, sleep, and drink, you know. I love to do it. I love to create and make things happen out of nothing. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of snowboarding that has been something for me anyway. 
what has changed, you know, is I think it's gone more towards people looking at spreadsheets mm-hmm. and following the bottom line, which uh, is sad to see, but somewhat reality when you're talking millions of dollars in the businesses. What I've seen is, you know, a lot of things that we've cherished, like the seasonal videos coming out and the excitement around those things still occurs, but lesser. And I think a lot of that's because of the balance sheets that people are following now. Have the campers stayed the same? Yeah, I think there's still people getting on boards and, and still being really excited about it and being hooked about it. You know, I think uh, the technology is coming around where it's changed quite a bit, you know, and it's it's made things a lot easier to not only ride a snowboard, but ride it better. You know, I think there's a lot of programs out there that allow people to get on it their first time and really advance quickly. Growing up on skis, Tim found the transition to snowboarding pretty easy. Just hopped on when I was okay. I was like, all right, now I'm reading the snow differently. And I think skiing and snowboarding kind of help each other. You know, skiing makes you a better snowboarder because you're reading the slope differently. And snowboarding makes you ski it more like a snowboarder. Tim's been riding at Timberline on Mount Hood since there were only a couple other snowboarders riding there, which seems unfathomable today. I wondered if even such accepting resorts as Timberline had any trouble accepting the early wave of snowboarders. You know, it was tough for the people that work there to accept snowboarding you know because it was taken off so much you know in the 80s and and 90s early 90s you know skiers hated snowboarders and then in mid 2000s snowboarders started hating skiers it's interesting to see that dynamic it's a little different because back in the 80s and 90s as I was a good snowboarder and a great skier you know there was quite a few times where I went to ski resorts to open up ski resorts and the ski patrol that night when you're having beers with them and talking about it there somebody gets pissed off and grabs your neck and throws you up against the wall because they're pissed that happened a few times not from mouthing off to them either just they were pissed that things were changing you know and i think that had changed a little bit when the snowboarders hated on the skiers it was probably less violent so to speak yeah right how were the (laughs) how were the ski camps pre-snowboarding it was predominantly ski racing and then there was bumps you know canada was bumps and timberline was predominantly ski racing the unfortunate side of probably the olympics and the olympic committee is like with bump skiing is you know they they put rules and regulations not to allow it to really expand and and grow and without that expansion and growth element i feel like it just kind of stagnates the whole segment of that discipline it's like you know they're disqualifying people for doing a quad you know it's like they, they don't have it in the rule book so they disqualified slopey who did a perfect quad and stuck it you know the first time ever in a competition i hope that never happens with snowboarding i would hope that snowboarding evolves and once it taps out on the cork thing as it moves hopefully more back into style right. but right. who knows right. Right. <laughs> it's my hope that it just keeps evolving and, and changing you know for the betterment you know and taking in consideration that the more we're doing triple corks and stuff like that as more it turns off kids yeah it's cool to watch but if that's what predominantly what kids are seeing on TV, that that's going to go, oh, yeah, that looks cool. I'm not going to do that. Right. I, can't do that. I can't do that. I'm never going to want to do that. At the time I recorded with Tim, the snowboard industry was dealing with a decline in overall sales. The general feeling was that growth had slowed and kids were maybe turning back to skiing. At that time, Wendell's camp catered to snowboarders and skiers, so Tim wasn't panicking like many of the other snowboard-only companies. We haven't seen a decline. You know, we, we saw... 
based on the economy is what we equated it to. We saw a decline, you know, two years ago in camper numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, we, we battle the ebb and flows of Mother Nature and the perception right. of whether we have snow or not. So we haven't seen that yet. I hope we don't see it, but, you know, if it comes, I think we're prepared for it. You would also be an expert on environmental snow patterns, just having a 30-year memory of what's going on here. Like, you've seen the ebbs and flows of good snow years, bad snow years. Is there a trend towards less snow year after year? You know, 2005, we had the third worst, you know, snow pack in recorded history out here. And, yeah. And we made it through, you know, mid-August that yep. year. So we were able to ride the whole time. This year, it's perceived we had low snowpack again. You know, it's, what, 10, 11 years later. And uh, what the time before that was 96. So, I mean, there's kind of a, it seems like there could be some of what of a trend, you know, is how you equate that. That year, we started off with banner snow year. And then we just had the warm rains of the El Nino, you know, where yep. it just washed everything away and flooded out Portland and wiped out a ton of houses up here. We predominantly feed off of what, El Nino, La Nina. This was an El Nino year where warmer yep. rains that we get and... Those things push down to the south, far south, and go far north, up far yep. north, which happened this year, you know. You know, next year it looks like we're going to have another La Nina, which is uh, the yeah. warm ocean moves up from South America and comes up here. So you okay. see all kinds of dead sea life on the on the beaches out here, even to this day. Yeah, I saw that this weekend. Yeah. But they come up, you know, and it brings the warmer fish up this way, and then that warm water slowly starts moving down south again, and, yeah. and that's when it starts dumping. But yeah, it's stuck up. Up here through like November is what it looks like, and that's what Noah says. So no, I follow what Noah has to say usually. That back in the day it was a crapshoot. <laughs> it's like you got a guy doing the weather that you know doesn't even have a college degree. No idea. <laughs> it's gonna rain snow, <laughs> sleet today. The vibe at Windows has always been the best. Yeah, you know, thanks. When we go up and our guests at the camp, people are just having such a good time. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, that's what we kind of pride ourselves on. You know, yeah. it's like, it's if you're not having fun, you're not really progressing. And you must see some of the guys that come through here that are household names. Oh, absolutely. Training all year at your camp yeah. and training all summer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, we had a, quite a few people that had been through our programs and that we're competing in the Olympics from all over the world, which is good to see. I mean, don't get me wrong, but what I said about the Olympics are where sports go to die. A, yeah, you know, if there's one thing that's changed in snowboarding, it's like the lack of of core retailers, you know, that shrinkage there, that's scary. I hope it doesn't hurt the sport as a whole because I think you lose a lot of the core element and aspect and the one-on-one -on -one touch feel and talk about, you know. In the early 90s, Sims dominated the back covers of Transworld and Snowboarder magazines and featured Tim Wendell in several of their ads. I wondered if there had ever been a Tim Wendell pro model in the works. I was riding a kid well, yeah. Tom's deal was uh, there was never really a board in play once Brad Stewart left. When Brad was there, I think there probably would have been a board in play, but it really wasn't my. My deal was just like, let's make the best board we can. Mm -hmm. And let's go after it. You know, Craig had, was moving over to Burton, and, you know, he was getting Jake's ear. He had Jake's ear, and Jake was working pretty diligently on producing stuff. And I think at that point in time, in my opinion, Sims was dominating the freestyle aspect. And it was like, let's just make the best board possible. And that was pretty much my goal and focus. I didn't really care at the time about having my name on a board. All I cared about is like, hey, I enjoyed what I did, you know. I enjoyed riding. I mean, we came from a poor family. You know, we lived on a dirt floor. So it was like, for me, it's just being able to ride was fucking awesome. 
and that's all I cared about. So Tom involved you guys in the design of the boards. When yeah. You came down with like, here are the three boards we're gonna put out this year, Terry. What name? Which one do you want to put your name on? Or was it like, guys, what do we need to do to make these boards awesome? Hey, Tom was open in the sense. Tom was good at you know directing in the sense. He was he was open to new ideas and concepts. And a lot of those ideas and concepts came from him and Dave Weaver and his skateboard roots and stuff. So he was pretty tied into that stuff, you know. And I think he, he started getting a little clouded when Sim started expanding over in, in, in uh, Europe and it was more of the racing aspect. Because, you know, it was like it was a clear vision that, like, you know, there was there was two dominant brands back then and a few other really good brands out there that were, were making leaps and bounds and changing things in a good, positive way for the industries. And, and, and that's what I really respected out of Tom. I was loyal to Sims. We got dumped because Sims went out of business, you right. know. And Tom financed uh, Sean Palmer, and that was it, and did a Palmer model, and that's all he sold in 92. So I was forced to go elsewhere. After Sims, Tim went to Checker Pig, a European team that made snowboards and early versions of mountain bikes. Sims was being made there before, and I used to go out there and visit, you know, and we were working on stuff over there as far as race boards and the freestyle boards and add extra stuff in the boards because of the amount of pressure we're putting in things and trying to figure out what was working and what wasn't working. And so it was really exciting at first, you know, and then it was just dealing with that being an american and dealing with the european mentality was really oh, tough it's good times yeah i mean i i cherish my moments i'm thankful to snowboarding it's been my life you know it's, it's rad. been good yeah. well thank you so much for doing the interview yeah thank you good seeing you yeah good to see you f and rad shout outs to tim wendell for recording with us i'd give you his camp's website wendellscamp.com but it's only for skiers now so it's kind of weird that it's gone that way You're going to hear more from Tim Wendell in our Craig Kelly episode for sure. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of the Effenrad Snowboarding Podcast brought to you by VR Productions.